The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials, named Jairus, came forward. Seeing him, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. He went off with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed upon him. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She has suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately, her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to Jesus, you see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you ask who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing that what had happened to her, reproached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. While he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message, what was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but asleep. And they ridiculed him. Then he put them all out. He took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha ka'um, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
the girl, a child of 12, arose immediately and walked all around. At that, they were utterly astounded. He gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that she should be given something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Praise the Lord. Praise God. In case you're wondering, before we dive into these amazing, amazing readings for today, this Sunday, so many of you saw me limping around. I can't see it from right now, but many of you noticed I got a fashionable new boot on my right foot. It's all the rage in Paris right now, by the way. It's the latest trend in fashion. All the cool people are wearing these blue boots here, so that's why I got this on. No. It's because uh, I fractured my, one of the bones in my toes, basically. I was hiking near, uh, near Sierra Butte, so we're going to this old mine, a mountain mine it's called. I was going to go look for gold, and, and so I was hiking around. And it's one of those things where, I call it an age check. You know what I'm talking about, an age check? When God reminds you how old you are, when you think you're, you think you're a young gazelle still, prancing around the fields, and God reminds you, no, you're not 21 anymore. And he humbles us. And so, I'll be limping around for the next couple weeks. So don't buy me hobbling around. Praise the Lord. God is good. Rejoice in all things. Amen? Amen. Amen. But let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as many of you know, we announced last week how our youth group, We're doing a whirlwind eight-day pilgrimage to all 21 Catholic missions. And they just arrived on late Friday evening. In fact, many of them are here now present. I won't embarrass them by calling them out. And many of them were at Mass last night, too. We had a little pilgrimage reunion after the vigil Mass. So remember, just to remind you of what they did. So they met up here, and they did a straight shot all the way to San Diego, 600 miles to get there. And then from San Diego, they slowly worked their way up to all 21 Catholic missions. That's about three a day. And so they traveled about 1,500 miles. And so it was utterly amazing. On Wednesday, I think, if I may say so, was the highlight of the trip, I think. We were, I met up with them, I surprised the young people on Carmel Beach. You guys ever been to Carmel, by the way? You have to go if you haven't. It's probably one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's utterly stunning. And to go on this, on, this beautiful, on this beautiful beach, surrounded by some of the most expensive real estate on earth, by the way. Carmel, <laughs> utterly expensive. And so we had beach right there on that famous spot. I was all vested up, of course, offering the Holy Mass. And amazingly, on Carmel Beach, it was on the same stretch where the first Catholic Mass in California was offered. Does anybody know, for for bonus points, the year the first Catholic Mass was ever offered in this now modern-day California? 1602. And so it was was amazing to to, to be at that beach where 400 years before me was uh, another priest. And now, in a sense, 
to continue that beautiful legacy of 400 years later, boom, we're still here. Visit the Catholic missions. The oldest buildings in our entire state are the Catholic missions. Especially nowadays, why? Because as we all know, what happened last summer? We all know what happened last summer during the all, much of the social unrest. They were tearing down statues of St. Junipero Serra. This black and white dichotomy that somehow these Europeans, white Europeans, were terrorizing the native populations, oppressors and colonizers. And so they started tearing down our statues. San Gabriel Mission was burned down, if you remember, that was part of that. Luckily, things have since died down, but that dynamic is still out there. And so it was a great opportunity for our young people to learn the fuller context of the history of it. Because this is not going to stop, by the way. San Diego and Ventura County right now are working on plans to remove images of their, of their seals of St. Junipero Serra and the missions to try to wipe away the Catholic patrimony of our state. So I'm glad that they went on it because in some circles, they're trying to remove us. And so to learn the deeper, wider context of it. So there we were on that beach. We had mass there. And we went up to Mission San Carlos. One of the most beautiful missions where St. Junipero Serra is himself buried. We prayed there. Next day, the young people went to Mission Dolores. You guys ever been to that one? It is... Now San Francisco. San Francisco was built from that mission there. And amazingly, Jessica, of course, one of the leaders of the group, they said that that was the most powerful spiritual moment of the trip. On numerous occasions, all on their own, without any prompting from the group, they would seek out Jessica and confide in her and they said, Can we stay here forever and pray? Can we stay here forever and pray? How often times do you hear teens saying that? Then it caused me to reflect when I heard that comment from the young people. And I said, where in the average life of, a, of an average American teenager can elicit that type of soul-opening response. Think about it. Think about the life of an average teenager. They go to school, great, learning great things. They hang out with their friends, hang out with their family. They play video games, play sports, all amazing things. But does it open the heart to something wider? Or even broaden the perspective in our, even our own lives. Where in our lives does the human heart open to, the, to that kind of depth? Hardly anywhere. What happened on that pilgrimage, I dare say, was a deepening of the human spirit and a reminder of what we were created for. And here's what I mean by that. Because right now, where we are situated in this particular age in our civilization, 
We are experiencing, unlike in our entire history of, of Western civilization, and I preach on this on numerous occasions, the unique situation we find ourselves, for the, again, for the first time in human history, human beings are attempting to define themselves outside of the transcendent. Meaning that we have no transcendent goal or, or, or desire. That simply, you just, you just give yourself all of the pleasures of the world and you'll be happy. Apart from a transcendent reality. Because ask yourself, where is religion in, in the modern context of our culture? Do we need religion? If you ask a, a, an average person, they'll say, ah, no, it's nice to have it. It's like a hobby. You can collect stamps if you want to, right? But stamps is not critical to your salvation or your well-being. And religion is quickly, again, all, it's not me saying this. You look at the studies that, that tracks the religious progress of Americans, even Western civilization in general. God is becoming less and less and less important. This has never happened before in our culture. This has never happened before. And we're trying to define ourselves again. What are the four classical substitutes? You get these four things, and then you'll be magically happy. To be a broken record, the classical substitutes of God is the endless pursuit of money, power, honor, pleasure. And our young people at Mission Dolores in the heart of San Francisco, one of the most bustling cities in the world, surrounded by some of the most powerful companies. Apple was just down the road from there, isn't it? Cupertino. Facebook is just around the corner. I mean, they're in the hub of these massive culture-shifting companies, which the world says achieve that. In a sense, they're in the heart of the world. And yet they didn't say, I wish I can stay at the Apple headquarters forever and pray. No. They'd lived something more profound. In the book of wisdom today, for our first reading, look at this. This powerful reminder. God formed man to be imperishable. The image of his own nature, he made him. Do you see what the book of wisdom just reminded humanity? We are made for more. Because what is, the, what is the ocean that we all swim in? How do we measure the quality of a person who's higher class than somebody else? Let's be honest. The person who has more is more. Who's better than me? Oh, the guy with the bigger truck is better than me. The guy with the bigger house is better than me. The guy with the bigger whatever is better than me. That's where we tend to measure ourselves, our value and our dignity. But is that true? Second reading, Paul now rides to the church from Corinth. He turns our worldly values upside down. Paul writes, For you know the gracious act of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, that by his poverty you might become rich. That's a complete contradiction of what the world tells us. Complete contradiction, which regulates religion, especially faith in Christ, to something you do as a hobby. Take him down the shelf whenever we feel like it. Ah, no, do you see what Christ is doing? He says, no, he's completely bringing us back into the center. And if that was lost on us, look what he says next. Whoever had much did not have more. Ooh, do you see how utterly counter-cultural this is? Because if we say, who has much does not have more. Oh, take the richest people on the planet. The world says they're better than us. Ah, but our Lord says again, whoever had little did not have less. Do you see the utter value system that our Lord is presenting humanity? The kids glimpse that. In the gospel today, I purposely read the entire long version. I could have chose to use a shorter version. But this gospel is utterly profound. Because notice here now, there's a pattern here. Our Lord is presented, he's being mobbed by the crowd. And then a synagogue official approached him named Jairus. That, uh, that phrase, synagogue official, means that this person, Jairus, is a man of means. He's a powerful man. He's, in a sense, upper class. And he goes to Jesus because, and every parent in here, you will do the same thing. My daughter is at the point of death. Come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. If your child was sick, you will stop at nothing to heal them. So our Lord now says to, looks at him. And on his way to heal his daughter, another woman afflicted. Because here's another hard truth about life. No matter how beautiful we are, no matter how much we strive to eat well and to exercise, you could have the most beautiful supermodel in the world or the strongest man. And by the way, in Sacramento, they just had the strongest man competition. These huge, burly monsters of, of, of specimens of, of men were down in Sacramento pushing trains for, for the competition. Huge, massive, they look scary. But you know that man and that beautiful supermodel? They're all going to shrivel up one day. They're all going to get skinny. And they're all going to lie in bed. Like all of us. This woman here, now hemorrhaging blood. And we know that she's a woman of means because she says that she spent her, practically her entire fortune to get better. And no doctor could help her. And notice the next detail, and it's in fact the detail of the hemorrhaging woman and of the young daughter. There's, a, there's two details which the gospel writer highlights. How many years is this woman afflicted with hemorrhages? Twelve. 12. Don't forget that detail. How old is the daughter that is sick? 12. Now, immediately, that should give us a clue. Because what is the meaning of 12? When God now forms the Jewish people, He forms them to how many tribes? 
12. When he builds a new kingdom of God, the foundation by which now would bring forth a new people of God, us, the church. Because now when Jesus calls the apostles, the first priests, how many apostles does he call? 12. 12, 12, 12. What is God doing? What God is trying to do now, because it began with Adam and Eve in the garden. When we sin, our hearts went awry. God became on the outskirts. But God did not forget us. So what God was trying to do, he began with the Jewish people to align humanity's heart again back to its original purpose. So he builds the Jewish people to, to the 12 tribes to begin the foundation to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. And then when he sends Christ into the world, now 12 apostles, he's bringing us back to right order. Because what does our heart do? It's utterly fickle. And it's not just a modern age. It's been a problem since the very beginning. Our hearts wanders after the things that are worldly. Not bad in and of themselves, but we place them even above God. And that's where our problems arrive. And Christ is trying to say, you will not find the power, pleasure, honor, and prestige that the world offers. That will not magically bring us the happiness we are created for. And I dare say this is the inroads by which we evangelize our culture. Ask more questions, not less. Ask people who don't go to church or who don't place God as a priority in their life. And I think a great probing question with, in love you ask, Is it world-giving what it promises? Because the world says, to be happy, just achieve those things. And then we'll finally, we'll, we'll achieve that. I want to call out that. And, ask, and honestly ask the question, is that truly bringing the deepest longing of the human heart? That, is that satisfying the restlessness? And when we honestly look at it, no, it doesn't. Our happiness will only be found in Jesus Christ. Our happiness is only found in Him. And I dare say when our young people in Mission Dolores, in the heart of San Francisco itself, they would rather spend time in a dark, quiet church and stay there forever and pray. Because they found something in that church which the world for all of its glory and power can never give. They saw Jesus Christ there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.